Hi, my name is Ellie Cody, and this is Manhattan Sideways. On today's episode, I interview Matt Fox and Enrique Crame III, co-owners of Fine and Dandy. Here's what Betsy Bober Pallavi, founder of Manhattan Sideways, had to say about this business. Back in 2013, in one of Manhattan's tinier spaces, 300 square feet to be exact, I discovered the quaint and well-curated men's boutique and had the pleasure of meeting Matt and Enrique, the charming partners, both in life and in business. It is just these two men who run their shop. On any given day, you are certain to find either or both of them on West 49th Street. It was here that I found a 1929 yearbook from Brown University. I needed a special gift for my husband, and this was absolutely perfect. A matter of fact, it is always an excellent place to find a unique and personal gift. There is not an inch of space, literally, that doesn't have a clever piece of merchandise. Yet, I would never describe fine and dandy as cluttered. It is simply great fun to explore and discover something new at every level. Up high and down on the floor, there are an array of items. There are decanters, suspenders, candles, college pennants, sports memorabilia, pillows, leather items, out-of-print books. The two owners live nearby and have figured out the most amicable way to run a business and a marriage in their favorite neighborhood, Hell's Kitchen. Hello. Hello. Please have you introduce yourselves, each of you, and then tell me the name of your store, one of you. My name is Matt Fox. And I'm Enrique Crame III. And we are the owners of Fine and Dandy. We started online in 2008, and then we opened our brick-and-mortar shop on 49th Street in 2012. What made you open a brick-and-mortar? We started doing pop-up shops in 2010, and they were really amazing, having the opportunity to seek customers and interact with customers. It was totally eye-opening for us. And so we did that for a couple of years, and we eventually got to a point where we, we realized that the brick and mortar is the way to go. And as much as we all shop online and are in our phones, I think people still really like to have real experiences and to you know see and touch and have a conversation. It was the relationships with the customers that you were creating that caused you to choose to open the brick and mortar. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There is something to be said for what you can create tangibly in person as opposed to what you create online. It's just not the same. And can you tell me about who your customers are? Our customer base is is, is very, very wide. It's very young kids. We have a, a customer who's eight years old to, <laughs> um, who loves wearing bow ties to, you know, 80-year-old men. But it's also very traditional customers, kind of hipsters, a little bit of everything in between. Can you tell me about your products? So you mentioned the bow ties. We've got the, the little eight-year-old bow tie lover. What else do you carry? The interesting thing is the archives collection. When we opened here, we used our personal vintage items to kind of merchandise the shop. And right from the very moment, people wanted to buy them. And really over the years, it's, it's become a huge growing part of our business. So you're collectors yourselves? Some say hoarders, but sure, we'll say, we'll say collectors. Um, Yes, we're, we're, we're big collectors. And, <laughs> and where do you find those kinds of collectibles? Everywhere. If, like you mentioned, dealers kind of know and we have our vendors. So we, you know, we kind of check in with online or offline markets. Uh, whenever we travel, we always have room in our luggage to fill in. And 
it's always a challenge packing and coming home. <laughs> but it's often a little bit of an issue of uh, when they weigh the luggage, and uh, it's a little bit overweight, which we uh, stressful becomes a little bit of a stressful situation at the airport sometimes. <laughs> but it always works out. Do you get to travel a lot? So we're a little old school in that we don't have employees. So we close uh, for about 10 days twice a year, in January and in July. And we go to the same places every year. We go to Mexico in January, and we go to Provincetown in July. And uh, it's two places that we love, and it's our tradition, and, and we, love, we love both places. Yes. It kind of gets us into that vacation mode quickly, where, you know, when we're closed for, you know, a week or 10 days, it's... It's very crucial to kind of get into that mode rather than trying to go to a new place and figuring out where things are and then you can get relaxed before it all ends. So. And that break must be so important if you're the only people totally. here. It, it is. I mean, it's especially um, the, the January break, the holidays for us are very, 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 very busy, which is great. But once we uh, get through, you know, especially Christmas, but even through New Year's, we're we're ready for a little bit of uh, some rest. We post our vacation, winter and summer break ahead of time because we do get a lot of our customers from all over the world that are, you know, goes to New York once a year and they want us to be here and open. You know, we made that mistake, I think, our first year. <laughs> and so a lot of customers were kind of disappointed. So actually that last week before we close is actually really busy. Our last day is always one of our busiest days and also our first day back is one of our busiest days. So, um, right. And and actually, I think that's why we kind of thought, oh, I think we're okay to be closed for a week because we kind of, at the end, we kind of make up for the sales for those two days. So it makes it worthwhile. How do people find out about you, especially, you know, people living far outside of New York and not even in the country? Um, well, I think starting our business online definitely worked to our advantage. We had a following before we opened. You know, we, we were very active in social media and blogging, and we got a lot of press before we opened here. So uh, when we opened, we already had a customer base. But we still get a lot of, you know, walk-up traffic. I'd say actually or more walk-in. Yeah. You know, we do have our regulars that are great, and, you know, we see them, but there's more new customers than, than any. This neighborhood this, is just exploding, and right. um, particularly far west. So you west of the shop, there are several hotels, all these new high-rise buildings that are going up, even Hudson Yards, which, you know, we're, maybe we're starting to see the impact of that. So considering that people don't associate with retail very much and health Kitchen at all, on the side street especially, we get a fair amount of um, right. foot traffic. A lot of it right now, too, is TV, movie, films that are shooting in the city. Specifically, actually, the wardrobe people have been, we've been getting a lot of right. wardrobe people yeah. shopping for film, for those, TV, yeah. and concerts, which has have been... Have you been getting people from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? So much, which yeah. has been great. Yeah, it's a big one that's yeah. happening here, yeah. That was the first one that came to mind. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, they're great, yeah. And it's actually really surprising, too. A lot of our new customers are older residents of the neighborhood. Sometimes it's the person like across from the street like what when did you open it's like five years ago and they're just now just discovering us and i think you know i think all of us are, are the same right where 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 you live you kind of like i always say i think we all have our paths yeah. in the city where you when you're going from your apartment to whatever you have the, your specific yeah, blinders right and, yeah and so many times you don't you don't go one block in one in one direction or the other and and when you do, you discover great things. Do you try to do that for yourselves in the city when you have time? 
we actually don't live like maybe the two block away <laughs> radius from here. Since we live, a, it's funny we live a block away from the shop, around the so corner. Yeah. We find ourselves very much in this very small right. world here. Um, but but yes, when I do have to go meet a manufacturer, I have to go run errands. I, I do love to make the point of kind of going a different way or going on a different block and I love discovering new things. I, I get so excited when, you know, I'm walking around the neighborhood and there's a new restaurant or something and I take a photo right. and I send it to right. Enrique of, right. well, to check this out. It's very exciting. There's something new. Well, what's cool that we started doing as well um, is we, you know, we kind of tack on two extra days after closing the shop to either go and stay in a hotel somewhere, like in Brooklyn we did one time for like a couple nights or, and you know downtown we did that a couple nights just to really kind of walk around together discover the city again a little and, staycation yeah a tourist known city is, right because we, like we never really get to have time off together a day off together because we're always alternating and just to get excited again before you reopen this is New York City and you live here and you forget how cool it is when you're in this store every day so how do you think it's impacted your business to be in New York specifically as opposed to being in any other city I'm Look, I'm very New York biased. I just think New York is the coolest city. And I think the coolest people and the most stylish people. So there's that. But then also having access to manufacturers makes all the difference in the world. There's definitely a cachet of when things are made in New York City. And our label says made in New York City, not made in USA. Handmade in New York City. But I think for us, we're not really thinking about it as we're in New York City, how cool is that? It just happened to be this is like our local. I can be in Calgary where I grew up, and that's just my local, and you would kind of take care of it just as well. But this just happened to be New York City, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're big cheerleaders for the neighborhood house kitchen. It's just such a cool, interesting neighborhood that's, that is still a little gritty, even though it mm-hmm. is a little bit, it got a little bit more polished over the years. but. I like to think of it as like the last neighborhood of Manhattan, <laughs> the last real neighborhood of Manhattan, because it has that feel, right? Small town feel in the middle of Times Square of all places, like two blocks away. Growing up visiting New York City, my, my uncle lived in the neighborhood and it was considered a rough neighborhood. And we, you know, after, if we would leave his building after dark, we would get in a cab. It's definitely not that anymore. But it is that sort of cool mix of theater people and there's still that you know, that Westy Irish contingent that still exists. It's just a really interesting mix of people that we really love. Part of the fun is getting to know the other business owners and and sort of having that camaraderie and being able to share experiences and, you know, collaborate. Like, we're, we're good friends with um, our a shop owner on the block who owns um, a shop called November 19. We're friends with uh, Susie who owns Pocket Bar and Back Pocket Bar. So it's, it's just kind of fun getting to know those people, and it's been a great experience. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, .nyc. Have you ever noticed our website is sideways.nyc? That's because our brand, passion, and purpose is all about New York. We wanted to reflect that in our web presence. If you've ever wanted to put your project, passion, or business online, .nyc is the answer for you. .nyc is the official web address for New Yorkers, listeners like many of you. Anyone with a business, brand, or residence within the five boroughs can register a .nyc domain. Use your location as proof of your value and success, stand out from the crowd, and own it. Visit www.ownit.nyc to learn more and search for your perfect New York City domain.
My background is in fashion retail, so I came through Inditex, the Spanish retailer. Zara is one of their best-known brands, and so I had the chance to work with Zara and also launching their line, uh, Massimo Duri. So I was there for a total of 12 years, and everything I've learned through them is what I kind of bring here every day, I think, not without even knowing. It's just the best sort of education in retail. I think definitely it's going back to a smaller kind of experiential retail. I think the age of department stores are, are over the Sears, the market, because that's that's what Amazon does for us now, and it's, it's so convenient. We have a love-hate relationship with Amazon, but... Um, we love it as a consumer, but hate it as a business owner. But I think people are looking for now edit again, you know, rather than getting 50,000 search results. They want to go back to the store and go to an expert and say, OK, I know I can get all of this online, but I just need your expert opinion. What, what do you think? So we're seeing that. But, but again, also the experience. We're isolating ourselves in our day to day lives. And I think people are just desperate to have real experiences. And connection. And connection. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And I think it depends on what you're offering, right? I mean, what we're offering, you know, we don't just follow the trends. Like, it's just stuff that we've always had. But now, for example, Hawaiian shirts, we've always had them. But when people started buying them, of course, we're going to have more, more and then and still find it hidden in our basement storage, <laughs> more of them. You know, you have to be aware of what's what's out there, what's what's trending, what people are doing. But you don't have to do it and forget about what your business is about. You know, at the end of the day, you still want a little bit of what, what you want. Where do you keep your products? Very happily, we have the, the basement below the shop storage, which I uh, remember I mentioned earlier about being hoarders. So um, it's floor to ceiling. Collectors. Right. Collectors. Right. <laughs> sure. Imagine when, when we first opened, we didn't have that space, actually. So uh, it was kind of amazing what we did. When we first opened, the landlord was in the process of evicting the former tenant, and they had cleared out of the shop space, but the storage in the basement was full. So we didn't have access to the storage for the first almost a year. Yeah. And then... What did you do during that time? So our apartment was sort of like in this in-between depot kind of. <laughs> well, we, we ran our, prior to being here, we, we ran our business, from, business. From, from our apartment. So. Wow. Right. We, we didn't have company over for maybe <laughs> for five years. years. How did you find this space for the shop? In 2011, we did the holiday market at Chelsea Market, which was... 10 days. Yeah. And prior to that, we had done these little like one or two day pop-up shop types of things. Brooklyn Flea was Brooklyn a big Flea. thing. And that was definitely that moment where we said, okay, we really need to start looking for a space. Right. A lot of the customers were saying, oh, this is cool, but where's your real store? They really thought we had a real store somewhere. You know, why are we just here? And so that's, that's what really got us thinking about it seriously. So we started looking and we loved the idea of being in this neighborhood. But the tricky thing is, is that these little tiny spaces you kind of got to just know about it or have somebody know about it. And brokers don't usually have these types of spaces. Right. They, or they don't something. advertise, you they know, advertise. after square foot. <laughs> so I, I was literally just walking around block by block, street by street, just looking around for vacant storefronts. And we had a few possibilities that didn't work out, several actually. Yeah. And I saw this space that seemed to be empty and I Googled it to see if there was any ad anywhere, but there wasn't. And for about three months, every day when I would go to the gym, I would walk down this block purposely both ways to see if I would get some clue or some contact somehow. And eventually, after three months, I saw the super outside cleaning up and I 
introduced myself and mentioned what I did. And he said, oh, well, the owner's right there. You should talk to the owner. So I spoke to the owner and he told me, well, you know, we do have a tenant, but they're not, they're, they're kind of like in and out. So let me take your card. But I thought that was it. Fast forward, we were about to get a space in Chelsea and we're in lease negotiations. And I got a call from the landlord here and the space was available. And we said, oh, well, we're about to go to the space in Chelsea. So thank you anyway, but no, thank you. And then our Chelsea space fell through. Yeah, and I called the landlord back, and here we are. What a roller coaster! What a roller coaster! It was actually for the better because that space in Chelsea ended up being flooded over Sandy, so it was kind of really like a blessing mm-hmm. for us. And it's much closer. It's definitely convenient Very to convenient. be working late into the night and to be able to just walk a block home. Obviously, you guys have your website, so that's very helpful, but what else do you do to get the word out about your business? We do zero paid advertising. Zero. At one time, we kind of played with like Facebook ads and Google ads, but didn't really see a real result. And our philosophy now is basically, let's just create something awesome and people will want to come. We'll have regular customers that will want to tell other people about it and, and, and social media I mean social, social media is, is necessary to have that you know our postcard is very popular a lot a lot of times I'm going to give this to a new customer like oh yeah I think my, we have that in my fridge like maybe my roommate's been uh, so it's you know it's never changed it's always been the same image I think it's just we have we had a very strong branding I think at the very beginning because we were just online so we we really kind of thought that through for example our, our online orders we, you know we still handwrite the note for them like thank you for your order and you know, we kind of just, you know, kept that and thankfully it's kind of worked. Our online business is not what it used to be. Right, and, and when you're just online. We, we've heard that from a lot of other s- small brands that it is really, really, really hard to have an online business these days yeah. because anyone can have an online business. So it's really hard to to stand out in the crowd. Yeah. And um, it's it's... That, that, that's part of why we're, like, we have our brick and mortar, because the two together is, is what kind of works for us. But So much so that I actually don't recommend if people are thinking about starting something online, just online. Like, I, I wouldn't recommend it. Just we, to, we've, to we've, just do that. we've had several friends who have a brick and mortar, mm-hmm. and they think that they're, they're either they're just they're going to add the online, and that's going to be a, just as big, or they're going to close the brick and mortar and just do online. Yeah. And I, I've said, it's it is be really, tough. really tough. And, you know, we have friends who say, you know, weeks go by where they don't get an online order. We just want people to step down these couple steps and hear a little bit of jazz and browse around and just kind of have a nice experience. And, and that's it. Yeah. And I think we're, we always try to have a good range of prices as well. So because we want somebody to leave with something, you know, we have our buttons that we, you know, are finding any buttons that we sell at one dollar. We have patches for, you know, two for a dollar. You know, as the years pass, we kind of um, figured out what customers are looking for that they couldn't find. And so... You know, at one point they were all coming in thinking that we have a whole collection of suits, for example, or shirts. You know, where are your shirts? Where are your suit collection? Thinking we have this whole range of um, products. In this tiny little right. square foot. And so we would then recommend and refer them to friends that make shirts. And then eventually we're like, why, why are we doing that? You know, why, why aren't we doing our own custom shirts? So we actually started doing that in, what, 2000? Three years ago, I think. Oh, longer than that. Four but yeah, ago. yeah, four years ago. So instead of, you know, sending them away, why not do it yourself? So do you we started doing design that as well. and make them yourself? We work with a factory in Tennessee, mm-hmm. as local as we can be. So like a customer will, will come in and uh, we take about 12 different measurements and then they go through a book of about um, 300, 300 fabrics 
and right. they pick the cuffs and the collars and all right. those details and yeah. within about a month they have a shirt they've designed for themselves. Yeah, That's one that will fit perfectly and last longer and you know, it's quite, it's quite cool. Yeah. yeah. And the majority of your products are made in the U.S. Can you tell me about that choice? It, it really was a practical thing at first. You know, we, we met a, a tie maker, an 80-year-old 80 company, um, third-generation tie maker um, in, the, in the garment district, and she made our ties and our bow ties. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting in that it's one manufacturer has kind of led us to another, to another, to another. So it's definitely a, a practical thing, but also it's a wonderful thing in that we're, we're very much more part of the process. Obviously, it's, it's easier than if we were flying across the country or out of the country. Just today, I was with a manufacturer in Brooklyn, and we were going through some fabrics that she had and looking at some things. And it's kind of wonderful that it's so easy to be part of that process, which just wouldn't be a possibility otherwise. Mm -hmm. So our neckwear, our suspenders, our sock rudders, all that kind of stuff we make here in the city. Uh, the, the jewelry we uh, produce in Rhode Island. But we, we also were connected with an Irish hat maker a few seasons ago. Oh, there's the wool hat. Yeah. Different. So it's um, another third generation. Um, right in um, Donegal. Yeah. Donegal, Ireland, yeah. Company in, from Donegal, Ireland. So we do these beautiful tweed caps and hats and scarves and uh, waistcoats. But from, from that, we were invited to a trade show in Dublin, Ireland, and and. Uh, we were able to meet some really great vendors there. So now we have this lady in Tipperary who makes these adorable little tweed teddy bears for us. Uh, and her mother knits the scarves. They're so cute. And we do these these beautiful night shirts, these like cotton flannel night shirts. So it, it's interesting. We do a lot in New York and in Ireland, interestingly. <laughs> right, right. But that's just because of, you know, the contacts and the connection and the that connection. we were we were, you know, introduced to of the Manhattan Sideways podcast is to help people who might want to open their own small businesses in New York in particular, but really anywhere. Are there any tips that you might have to give to someone who's thinking about doing that? There's so many. <laughs> that, that, that should, that'll be an, uh, a whole new podcast. A whole book. We can talk about podcast, a whole podcast about that. It's, you, you have to stick with it. You always hear it takes several years before you're profitable. And we've had lots of friends who start different lines and businesses and they kind of come and go. And our first couple of years just being online with other jobs, we didn't make a lot of money. We barely broke even, but we were passionate about it. And it kind of developed into this business that sustains us both. Um, but it's about being really driven and passionate about something and, and kind of getting past the hump and sticking with it. And I think part of it too is you might have a vision for exactly what you want to do, how you want your shop to look and what kind of products you would bring in. But that changes over time because at the end of the day, you can't just put out what you like, you know, because <laughs> sometimes nobody buys it. You quickly learn that. So you kind of have to have the balance of like, you know, your taste, but also what our customers are looking for. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you still need to sell product. And businesses you know? evolve over time. So funny, the more we do these, there's repetition. When, mm -hmm. when I asked that question, so 
For example, we interviewed William Knuckle at Lathanian, which is down in West Village, and his answer to the question was staying power. Mm-hmm. And then we interviewed Don okay. Martin, who owns Grandma's Place up in Harlem, and her response was that when she first opened her business, she went out and she bought all of the toys that she wanted to sell in the store. Mm-hmm. She had all these action figures and things yeah, that yeah. she was into. They didn't sell. She kept them for her own collection, but she yeah. evolved over exactly. time. Exactly. So it changes over time. And, and that's, to be honest, that's kind of one of the most exciting things is sort of figuring out what works, what sells well, and you know what your customers are looking for, and, and that's that's kind of the fun challenge. Yeah, and I mean, there's so much you can do. I'm just part of the stuff that I've learned with my experience is one thing left on that side of the room versus this side, or on the table, or the front, or the back changes everything and what's beside it how is it connected is there a story as people are walking by that's a big thing merchandising your store is 90 percent of the of the success is how you merchandise it what do you mean by merchandising merchandising is um where things where things are put or placed how how are they you know how are they presented presented um because if you if things are just kind of laid down with no story or you know doesn't match why why is it on this side versus the other side or you know, who, who is it sitting beside? Like, is there a flow from one to the next? So it's comfortable for the customer and they can kind of think about how they're going to wear it or where they're going to put it as they move left to right to the store. And there definitely is this very kind of frequent trail that people take around the shop. That it, it does keep you moving, but at the same time, I didn't feel lost when I walked in right, here. Right. There's some stores that try to get basically this aesthetic where it's cozy and full, maybe over full in some right. ways, but it doesn't work they don't get it right and yeah it, yeah it can be really overwhelming but this is it's just cozy it's like i mean there's yeah. a, there's a lot of things in here when you actually go through one by one and then yeah. and levels <laughs> too you, you you know you crouch down and then you see a whole new thing <laughs> you know and it's over time it all kind of just came together and all the pieces just fall into place i think that's just me being crazy but they really do they kind of just speak to me and be like okay like that's the right have a sense for it right like like the items always tell you like but it's constantly evolving i mean yeah we'll, it's we'll, never really done this time of year every day we're getting boxes of product and it's that madness of trying to receive the product and then put away the back stock and, and find a place for it on the floor and we realize okay got to find some place to put this so this other thing is taking up this much space so we could probably put it in this smaller space so it's this constant evolution of, and, of and this is where we we're very different like our mind frame is very different if i take one piece out that will affect everything there so it's not as easy as like taking that up put it in here and then we're fine because everything else is affected so you know it always takes me longer to kind of make sure it's it's the right thing and you know sometimes it's kind of hard for him to kind of see see that in my head <laughs> oh, I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> how how do you keep things balanced when you're working together and trying to maintain a marriage and a happy relationship? I mean, we've been together for, what, 15, 16, 16 years. years, I think, over the years. And with long distance, uh, three, four years of that long distance. So I think after that, you know. You can do anything. Everything, yeah. <laughs> just, the, just the idea of being together in the same city was a big thing when I moved here in 2006. So everything else, it can work over. It, it's challenging, but it's yeah. it's about sort of like, okay, Let's give it a moment. We'll revisit that and let's move on to something right. else. Why don't, why don't you go for I'm a Starbucks gonna, run for I'm us? I'm going to go for a little walk. I'll let's, be back in 10 yeah. minutes. <laughs> walk on the block. Yes. How did you meet? Enrique was visiting New York City for the first time. What year and, was that? Um, 2002? Yes. 2003. Three. And um, he was out at a club one night, and I had a friend who dragged me out to the same club. Yes, because he never goes out after the And, I never went and out. That, was, that was his like, first time going out. <laughs> and that's the time when we met. When we met. 
and we yeah. just kind of kept in touch and, and he went, moved from Calgary to Toronto so for three years we were kind of both back and forth between here and Toronto and then uh, Inditex um, said that they would yeah, sponsor got him for got a work I <laughs> come from the theater world I manage Broadway theaters so um, I worked for the theater owner Drew Jamson theaters and I was the associate general manager there and I uh, was there for 12 years yeah, um, Matt left us on his own. What year did you leave from? I left the theater world in 2010. So, right. so we had two years um, of just being online, no That's day right. job, yeah, and then yeah. we opened here. Yeah, and when Matt opened here, he was by himself. We were closed for one, one, day, one day a week, so he had a, a day off. Yeah, it was just, just me for the first year and a half. And then I joined you in 2014. You know, we didn't really, we did not intend for it to be both of us, to be totally honest. Yeah. Just, you know, you, we had so many friends who said, oh, you should never work together, you'd kill each other. But circumstances got to a point where he was just ready to be done with the corporate world, corporate fashion, corporate retail. And um, yeah, and it was also great timing too, you know, with a great you know, New York Times review and in order for us to get ahead in our own business, we kind of need an extra hand. And, and actually, the moment I did join, you, you, you see the numbers. Like, we're able to grow our business significantly. Significantly. And it was like, wow, okay, so we're doing this together now. Should have done it sooner. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump now to how you approach gender in the shop. So our clientele is very mixed. We, we spoke about it earlier, but we definitely have, obviously we have male customers, we have we have straight women who happen to like, you know, men's hats, so-called men's hats. We have lesbian customers who dress a little bit more masculine. We have trans male customers who this this is what they do. This is what they what they wear. Um, I mean, we still feel like this is what would have been considered men's clothing. But we, we, it's, mm -hmm. We're in such a gray world right now that mm -hmm. we're trying to figure out the best way to kind of position what we are and describe what we are. So this is a little bit fluid for us at the moment, mm -hmm. but our tagline has been accessories for dapper guys, which we've gotten a little bit of pushback on it. And we're sort of in an ongoing situation of trying to figure out how best to put our ourself out there. But we are very happy to have customers of all types in the shop. Yeah, at the end of the day, we're just selling the product itself. A shirt is a shirt, whoever wants to wear it, whoever fits it. And all those Hawaiian shirts, there's some women's shirts that are, have sold to men mm -hmm. that, you know, didn't know it's a women's shirt. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for those people that know, it, it bonds on the other side, but they look like a men's shirt, you know? So at the end of the day, whoever wants to wear it and feels good with it, we want them to feel good when they're leaving, whoever they are and whatever it is. We get a lot of weddings too, and you know, they'll come in and it's my fiance. We don't know what the fiance is, right? If it's a man or a woman, and you know, it's it's what they're looking for, you know. So is it the neckwear? But where they want, you know, a bow tie or a neck necktie? So just today, I had a guy who mentioned his partner, and right. I didn't say anything. And then eventually he acknowledged that his partner was a woman. And I was like, you almost tricked me, but I'm glad I didn't fall. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Almost, I almost stuck my foot in my mouth. We're actually hearing a lot of partner, a partner for like for you know, straight, yeah, yeah, so. I've, I've started saying partner. Yeah, really? But yeah, I'm just yeah. like much more comfortable with it. I but don't I think, like gendering yeah. right? either of us. Yeah, yeah. I think most, a lot of people are doing that now. Yeah. And, and, and we're all changing with it. And we're yeah. also kind of like, you know, figuring out as well, like, oh wait, 
you know. Right, but there is there is a little moment, weird. a little lurch, right? And like, right. And yeah. when you do, and they feel that, they at least they see that you're trying, and you know, so it's not like right, you exactly. know, so. At the end, like we just don't want them to feel uncomfortable, and yeah. we're open we want for everybody. To everybody, feel everybody, welcome. Um, of course. everybody likes bow ties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. My name's Ellie, and this has been an interview by Manhattan Sideways. If you want to learn more about Fine and Dandy or about the thousands of other small businesses on the side streets of Manhattan, be sure to check out our website, sideways.nyc, follow us on Facebook, Manhattan Sideways, and on Instagram and Twitter, at NY Sideways. See you next time.